Hello, and welcome to Papago Butte's Church of the Brethren podcast, recorded live weekly at our campus in Scottsdale, Arizona, during our normal service. and I'm happy to be preaching with you today. Um, If you have never studied the life of Mahatma Gandhi, he is a fascinating individual, probably one of the most famous people from the 20th century. Um, As with any famous person, inevitably there's a movie that's made about him. Um, There's a 1980-something film directed by Richard Attenborough. It's a a great film that kind of goes into great detail about his life. It's, It's a good biography. And as the film opens... It actually opens with the assassination of Gandhi. Like, that's how the film starts. Um, And so if you were to just watch that film and you know nothing about Gandhi, you just know right off the bat, like, oh, somebody shoots him. And that might throw you for a bit of a loop if you were not expecting uh, that. And then it tells the story and then eventually comes back to that. Um, I bring all of that up um, because we're in this new series looking at prayers in the Bible. And we're looking at this interesting prayer that's offered by Samson in the book of Judges. Um, And this prayer is given right before Samson dies, uh, but we actually have several chapters recorded about the life of Samson. We have like four or five chapters about his life, um, and we're gonna touch upon these things briefly, even though we're just looking at the end of his life. Um, So uh, while we're just kind of looking at the end of his life, if if you don't know much about him, if it's been a a while, I would encourage you to go back and reread his story because it's it's very interesting. Uh, Maybe at some point we can go back and look at the rest of the story in depth, but for now, uh, we're just looking at the end. Um, so Richard Attenborough uh, is my inspiration for, uh, uh, for doing that. So we, as always, we begin in prayer, so please pray with me. Uh, Lord, we are thankful uh, for your word. We're thankful for uh, the truth of your word throughout the ages. We're thankful for the truth of your word uh, for us even here and now today. Uh, Lord, I pray that I would indeed be able to preach and proclaim your truth. If I say anything that's not of you, let that be forgotten. Uh, but we pray that you be brought glory and honor and that we would learn to better be your disciples as a result. Amen. All right, so we're looking at uh, the end of Samson's life. We're looking at Samson's prayer this morning. Uh, but before we get into that, I wanna, uh, we do want to spend some time looking at his story a little bit, looking at his backstory as well. Um, I'm going to assume that most of us here have at some point read about Samson, maybe studied him, um, because he is a bit of an interesting character in our Bibles. Um, Speaking of movies, there's been various uh, movie adaptations, uh, miniseries, things like that about Samson. Uh, There was a Cecil B. DeMille film in the late 40s about his life. He's the same guy that directed the Ten Commandments film. So lots of different adaptations of him. Um, I had a uh, kid's Bible uh, as a a small lab that had some very intense uh, pictures of Samson's life story. I still have that Bible. I pulled it out. And so these are some uh, uh, pictures uh, that were included in my kid's Bible. So I have these very strong, vivid memories of reading this story as a kid and seeing these photos or pictures again. I was like, wow, this is a very intense story. There's a lot of intensity. Like my sermon title is very intense, like a lot of of intensity here. Um, and Samson, he's born in an interesting time in the Hebrew scriptures in, in the life of Israel. He's, he's born before they have a monarchy, before they're this established nation, uh, but he's born after the time that the Israelites have left Egypt. So if you study the big picture of Israel, there's kind of like different pockets, different, like, uh, different points of history, and he's kind of born in this weird like gray area where they, they, they are a bit of a, they are a nation, they are a people, 
but not like settled necessarily in the land. They don't have kings or things like that. So there's this weird kind of like gray area. Um, and this is a very, very, very dark time in Israel's history. It's a very dark time. And as a whole, there's just a lot of violence in the book of uh, Judges and just a lot of really depressing things going on. So if you, I, I would encourage you to read the book of Judges, but also know in advance, you don't exactly get a happy feeling reading most of this book. Um, again, it's just kind of dark and murky. And there's this kind of like this theme, this thread that, you know, oh, if we just had a king, then maybe things would be better. Maybe the king will bring us, uh, bring, bring us better times. Um, but during this time, Israel has a category of people who help to oversee them, who help to protect them. Uh, this category of people is called the judges, um, and hence the title of the book uh, that we see Samson appearing in. Um, judges uh, were people, both men and women, who were anointed by God to provide deliverance from Israel's enemies during this time. Uh, that's what we see. So they didn't have kings, but they did have some sort of established uh, ruling class to help oversee the people. And in our day and age, when we hear the word judge, we think of someone who oversees a trial. That's usually the word that we think of, um, but that's not exactly what their role was. They weren't like judges like we think overseeing uh, criminal trials. Um, one scholar that I like a lot said that the uh, book would be maybe more accurately understood or described as the book of saviors because that's kind of their role. That's kind of what these judges did. They were providing uh, salvation uh, for their people. Um, Samson is, is one of these judges. He's one of these saviors. He's one of these protectors. He is supposed to protect uh, the people from outside forces, uh, from outside invaders. So maybe that's a, a better way to understand the judges, a, a, a book of saviors. Um, so even though this is an often overlooked uh, part of our Bibles, he, he again is a more well-known figure uh, because we have a lot of details about his life. We have a lot of, a lot of information about his, his life. It's a popular kid's story. If you are to read the story, it almost reads like you're watching a Marvel film, like all these fantastical events happen in the book. And so we know a bit more about him than many people in the Bible, including some of the judges. There was a whole series of these judges. Some of them we only know, we have like a sentence or two, maybe a couple paragraphs, but Samson, we have a lot of information. I will give you a real brief recap of some of the things he's known for. Um, again, a lot of miracles. Uh, there's this childless couple. They're visited by an angel, and they said, hey, you're going to have a baby after all. So there's a miracle surrounding his birth. Um, they're, they're told that he should be a Nazarite. He has this special vow that he takes. So there's these rules that he's supposed to live by. So as a Nazarite, he's not supposed to touch grapes. Uh, his hair is not supposed to be cut. And he also can't touch dead bodies. These are some of the rules that make up what it means to be a Nazarite. And if you read the life of Samson, you'll see like, oh, he breaks all of these rules. He's really bad at following this Nazarite vow. Um, Samson, he really likes women, and he really likes Philistine women. Uh, the Philistines were the en one of the enemies of, of Israel at this time, and yet he finds himself in all these romantic entanglements with the Philistine women. So he really should be the one group of people he should be avoiding, he can't help but fall in love with. Um, he has great strength. That's kind of like the biggest thing we associate from him, like that he has this, he can just do all these miraculous things. And there's this sort of link, it's like his hair is what gives him his strength, but really it's, it's God who's giving him his strength. 
I mean, in fact, he actually kills a lion with his bare hands, and he tears off the city gate, this big, like, gate in front of the city. So there's two uh, miraculous things that he does. He also kills a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, and he eventually confides in Delilah, one of his romantic uh, girlfriends, about his hair. There's this, like, long series where she wants to know his, where his strength comes from, and he tells her all these uh, things that aren't true, and eventually she wears him down, and he says, my hair comes from my strength. And so uh, Delilah ends up betraying his trust, ends up cutting off his hair, and the Philistines, they end up capturing him, and they gouge out his eyes. So now he's blind, he can no longer see. And Samson, his name in Hebrew means little sun, S-U-N, like a a star in the the sky. And so this little sun has been cast into darkness. It's been snuffed out. Uh, They imprison Samson. They force him to grind grain. And that's when our story picks up, is that Samson is now paraded in front of the Philistines. He's, He's been their enemy. He's killed a bunch of them. And again, he's been romantically involved with many of their women as well. And the Philistines have every reason to not like Samson. He is very much their enemy. And so they have this big party, and with that comes eating, uh, comes drinking of wine. And after a few rounds of drinks, they're, they're feeling pretty good, and they want to see their defeated enemy. They want him to dance. They want him to do tricks. They, maybe they some, perform some sort of feat of strength. They know that he's a shadow and a shell of what he once was, and they want to bring him out, and they want to laugh at him. They want to mock him. They want to feel really good about themselves. Um, They're praising their god, Dagon, uh, for their victory over their enemy. Uh, Dagon was one of the gods of the Philistines, and Dagon was actually a grain grain god, a, a, a god of the fields. And there's a bit of an irony over this, as one of the stories of Samson is that he uh, ends up catching all these foxes, ties their tails together, lights them on fire, and then just lets them loose and destroys all of their fields. And so it seems like Dagon has finally gotten his revenge. This grain god has, like, gotten his revenge on Samson. And so now it's time to celebrate. And so we have this blind, washed-up former hero has to be led out uh, by the hand by a young boy. Uh, Samson asks the boy to help him find the pillars in the middle of the temple so that he can prop himself up on them. Now, before the story starts, the text also says that when Samson was in the prison, when he was grinding grain, that his hair started to grow back. And again, the story of Samson links his strength with, with his hair. It's one of the big things we, we associate with him. But again, like ultimately, we believe that God is the one that's empowering him. And so even though God has seemingly left Samson due to his relationship with Delilah and a bunch of other things, his hair growing back is, is also maybe a sign that, eh, you know, maybe God's still here. Maybe God hasn't left him uh, completely and permanently. Samson's hands are resting on the pillars, and it's here that he speaks his final words, and he offers up one last prayer. Uh, We're we're using the New Living Translation this morning, and there the text reads, Sovereign Lord, remember me again. O God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. He puts his hands on the pillars and then speaks one final prayer, Let me die with the Philistines. Uh, The text records how the temple collapsed and around 3,000 people died that day, which is more than Samson uh, killed while he was alive and a judge or a savior watching over Israel. 
And thus ends the life of Samson. And if you, again, if you were to keep reading the book of Judges after this, there's these more dark and depressing and violent stories that we see. And so we're looking at uh, this story of Samson because we're in this series on prayer, looking at various prayers or the theme of prayer in the Bible. Again, if you pick up your Bible and flip through it, there's all kinds of references to prayer all throughout uh, scriptures. Um, And last week we talked about the Lord's Prayer and how even though it's a prayer intended for a group setting, you certainly can pray the Lord's Prayer as an individual. Uh, The Lord's Prayer, that's something that has been prayed or recited by literally billions of Christians for the past 2,000 years. You know, if you don't, if you're struggling with your prayer or don't know where to start or don't know what to pray, pray, pray the Lord's Prayer. And you can pray sins, you can pray deaths, you can pray trespasses. It's okay. You can use any of those words. So the Lord's Prayer is a great example of a prayer to be praying. Uh, The Samson Prayer, however, Samson Prayer, it's about as far opposite that you can get from the Lord's Prayer, just just so we're clear on this. Um, In case this is news for you, in case, again, you're looking to the Bible for inspiration for prayer, the Samson Prayer is not a good example of a prayer that we should be in the habit of praying. This is very much not a model prayer to have in our, in our individual lives or our corporate lives. Next week, we're not going to get up here and all recite the Samson prayer together. We're just not going to do that. Um, I'm pretty open. I'm pretty flexible to a lot of things. I love thinking outside of the box, but just wanted to be very clear, like, not a prayer that I would endorse you praying. A uh, few reasons for this, a few reasons that this prayer should not be emulated. Uh, first and foremost, it's calling for death and destruction upon his enemies. Like, that's the obvious one. Let's start with that one. Certainly not a prayer that should be on our lips. Whether you are a Christian or not, whether you're a person that faith is, 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 is something that you value or not, I hope that we would all understand why this is not a prayer we want to encourage others to be praying. It's calling for death and destruction on his enemies. Um, It's also calling for his own destruction as well. Samson wants to go down with the ship. He's been physically blinded, but he's also been blinded by his rage, and he's willing to sacrifice himself so that others will be punished. Again, not a great prayer to be modeling in our lives. Uh, This prayer is also incredibly, incredibly selfish. It is all about Samson, all about his wants, all about his desires. Samson is basically praying, my kingdom come, my will be done. We've got to remember what Samson's role was, what he was supposed to be doing. He was supposed to be the protector of Israel. He was supposed to be like a mama bear type of figure watching out for his children. And it'd be one thing if he was praying a similar prayer and he said, Lord, let my death be the cause of my people being saved or something like that. It'd be one thing if he was like standing on a bridge, the Philistine army is coming and he like cuts the bridge and he wants to go down and like bring the Philistines down with him. That would be maybe a different context for our prayer. You know, if there was some sort of situation where where by Samson's death, the Israelites would be spared, like I think that's a a prayer that we could understand and maybe get behind a little bit more. You know, we can see some nobleness in that prayer. We can see some nobleness in that action. Um, but nobleness, protecting others, is not the motivation for calling for his demise. That's like not what's going on in Samson's heart. His prayer is motivated by revenge. That's at the heart of his prayer, revenge. He's enraged over the loss of his eyes, over losing his vision. 
In his prayer, he says, with one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. That's his motivation for this death and destruction. He's willing to sacrifice himself not to save his people, not to help anyone out, not for any sort of noble cause, but to get vengeance, to get revenge. Again, not a good prayer to use as a model prayer, not a prayer to emulate in our lives. Here's the thing, though, like, in, in thinking about all of this, and thinking about this prayer, and thinking about this situation, like, come, come to realize, like, this Samson prayer is far too common in our world today, and far too common as we study the history of humankind. Um, this has been a model prayer, I think, for so many atrocities through the course of human history. This is a model prayer that continues to be prayed by countless individuals, and as, as well as nations, throughout our time today. Again, there's nothing wrong with praying for yourself, praying for your needs. After all, in the Lord's Prayer, there's the call for our daily bread. Like, absolutely, it's okay to be praying for your needs and things that are going on in your life and your heart. But Christ also calls us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He calls us to say, God's will be done, God's kingdom uh, come here. You know, we are to pray for the kingdom of God to be with us here and now. And Christ shows us what that kingdom looks like, and it's not about putting ourselves first. It's not about revenge. It's not about selfishness. It's not about the destruction of our enemies. And yet, far too often, our prayers remain, my kingdom come, my will be done. And we want to continue with that and continue to push that to its extreme, ignoring everything else in the process. Samson has every right to be angry over the loss of his eyes. That's certainly something to be mad over. If someone were to gouge your eyes out, absolutely, you can be mad about that. But he pushed this idea of, I want my kingdom and my focus and my needs to be front and center to the point where he's willing to get himself killed and bring down 3,000 others in the process. And that prayer, my brothers and sisters, continues to be a prayer that is alive and active and causing so much pain and destruction and devastation in our world today. You know, when you talk about prayer, there's like that, that cycle of debate. There's those questions you, get, you can get into that we kind of like we, we've been having for, for generations. You know, when we pray, like, how does that work? You know, like, does God answer our prayers? Like, what does that look like? What if the prayer, what if the answer is no? Or what if there's like a silent response? Or what if like the answer comes in some way I wasn't expecting? You know, how much, how much of our prayers do we take into our own hands? How much of our prayers do we try to enact as well? And, you know, these are questions we've been having for, for generations now. And I, I wish I knew the perfect mechanics or logistics of how prayer and action all fit together, but I don't know exactly know how it fits together. Uh, but sometimes you come, up, uh, come across quotes and you're like, oh, I like that. I think that kind of summarizes uh, maybe a, a good thing to think about that. And there's this quote by uh, St. Augustine. It may have been said by someone else, but he's generally the one that gets the, gets the credit, where he says, pray as though everything depended on God. Work as though everything depended on you. And, and I like that because I think it's true because like you can pray to be a more kind person. You can pray to be a more loving person. Absolutely be doing that. And opportunities will arise where you will be presented with a choice. And in this, in this choice right now, I can choose to be kind, or I can be kind, or I can be loving, or I can choose not to be. And at the end of the day, you kind of have to live that out as well. You're gonna, you have to make a choice to be kind. You have to make a choice to be loving. 
And can God change our hearts like supernaturally? Absolutely God can do that. Absolutely God can make us more kind and loving as well. But we also have to put the effort in as well. We also have to make a choice as well. And when, when we're praying often for God's kingdom to be done here on earth as it is in heaven, it's easy to pray that and then like just not really follow through with it. It's easy to pray for God's kingdom, but then be like, I'm just going to like sort of pray that and just sort of go off and do my own thing. You know, we all have a lofty vision of what that should be and what that should look like, but it's easy to take a back seat in trying to make that happen as well. It's easy to say like, well, God's kingdom here and now, but I'll let someone else worry about that. You know, we pray for a miracle and go on with our lives. But when you're praying the Samson prayer, when you're praying my kingdom come, my will be done, that's a prayer that you make happen. You absolutely make that happen. That's a prayer that becomes self-fulfilling. That's a prayer that you put into action. Our, our text in Judges 16, it, it's a little unclear like how much God is involved in, in, in that story, about how much God helped to bring about the destruction of, of the temple. I say that because when you study the life of Samson, when he performs a miraculous deed, there's often a phrase that appears that says, at that moment, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. We see that phrase several times in the book of Samson. Like when he, when, he, uh, when he kills a lion, it says the spirit of the Lord came upon him. The thing of it is, though, in our current story today with the destroying all the people, we don't see that phrase happening. And we can certainly debate, like, how much, of, how much did God play a role in all that? Uh, but what's not up for debate, what's absolutely clear, is that Samson made this happen. Again, we can kind of debate, like, how much did God, like, help destroy the temple, things like that. But what's abundantly clear, what is not up for debate, is that Samson made it happen. Samson prayed his prayer of vengeance and then did everything he could to make it true. Again, that prayer, my brothers and sisters, continues to be a prayer that is alive and active and causing so much pain and destruction in our world today. Uh, there were some mass shootings that were recently in the news. And that's sad enough to talk about but then even Saturday, I have to clarify, like, which shootings are you talking about? But last weekend, last weekend, there were two shootings that made the news. On Saturday, an 18-year-old man walked into a grocery store in New York, and he killed 10 people, wounding a few others. And he was driven by his hatred of black people. And he was convinced of this racist conspiracy theory that says that white people are being systematically replaced. Just the next day on Sunday, last week, a man walked into a Taiwanese church in Southern California. He opened fire, he killed one person, wounded several others in the process. And again, in the aftermath and the investigation of this, it seems like this event too was driven by racism and prejudice against Taiwanese people. And I don't know the religious background of either of these two shooters, I don't know them, uh, but their actions were very much in line with a my kingdom come mentality. Both sought to bring their enemies down at all costs, and both were likely willing to put their own lives at risk doing that in the process. Their actions matched Samson's prayer, whether they were specifically using his words or not. History is replete with individuals and nations who are embodying this prayer from Samson, both in words and actions. Wars and mass shootings and other horrendous violence, that's easy to see, that's easy to condemn.
But how often do we uh, feel this temptation of this prayer uh, calling on us, calling it to make us our own as well, in subtle ways that you just don't easily see? How often are we hearing that call of, my kingdom come at all costs? How often are we praying, my kingdom come, even when it goes blatantly against God's kingdom? How often are we willing to risk everything we value and care about, maybe even our own lives, due to whatever injustices we faced, real or imagined, large or small? Again, you're allowed to be angry when someone gouges your eyes out, but oh, how often do we push that and push that, and suddenly 3,000 people are dead, and we think nothing of it. We end up bringing ourselves down in the process. We end up making sure that we embody this prayer of revenge to the bitter Samson, he lived before the time of Christ. He lived uh, by a time that was more defined by an us versus them mentality. And again, like like a lot of things in the book of Judges, there's a lot of things we can debate and discuss. Um, There's a lot of nuance with the theology of of what that looks like. What what did that that look like to live during the time of Samson? But we don't live during the time of Samson. We live after the time of Christ. And yet, we are also tempted by this us versus them mentality. And we continue to become more entrenched in our, in our camps and tribes and whatever markers we have. And we want to draw the line in the sand and we say, we're drawing this line right here and we say, you are different and therefore you are enemy. You are different and therefore you are enemy. And that completely goes against the ways of Christ and his call upon our lives. Because when you live in an us versus them world, the them keeps changing. Your allies suddenly become your enemy, and your enemy is suddenly your ally. Us versus them, that's what gets you fired up. That's what sells newspapers. That's what gets people to watch your video, click on your links, because after all, outrage sells. And you can become very, very, very dangerous when we we start throwing God into the mix as well, because we start claiming God is on our side, and when you have enemies, those enemies cannot possibly have the same God. You end up lighting the whole world on fire in the process. You wipe out thousands or even millions, not even bat an eye. Maybe you lose thousands or millions of those people on your side. And again, you don't bat an eye because it doesn't matter. It's just collateral damage. Um, if you know the Bob Dylan song, With God on Our Side, it encapsulates just how scary this reality of thinking is. And I think the lyrics to the song are basically just Samson's prayer, again, pushed out uh, on a global scale. We we see that played out in the 20th century with all these different wars that Dylan breaks down. I'm putting a few of the lyrics here up on the screen. If you're not familiar with it or it's been a while since you've heard it, I would encourage you to look it up. I thought about maybe singing it together after the service, but I was like, maybe we we won't do that. Um, But it fits in with today's message that Samson's prayer has caused so much death and so much destruction in our world from a, just a global perspective down to just a personal level with our own selves and in our, in our families and our coworkers and in our neighborhood and things like that. Samson's prayer is very much alive and active today and causing so much hurt and pain and destruction. And so to my friends in the faith and to, my, to those on a faith journey, to those who are present with us now, to those who are listening later, the prayer of Samson is not a prayer to be emulated And yet we see it prayed and enacted in so many different ways throughout history, even into our own present contexts. Christ says to lay down your hatred, 
lay down your idea of enemy at the foot of the cross and to come and follow him. And so whatever version, whatever form of Samson's prayer is in your life, we lay that down at the cross. And the invitation of Christ is always open, always open, always calling us in new ways each and every single day to come follow him. Thank you for listening to Papago Butte's Church of the Brethren podcast. If you have any questions or are interested in finding out more about our church, feel free to reach out to us at any time. Our contact information is provided at www.pbcob.org.